If you open your Bibles to the book of Titus. Titus is a, is a book uh, written by the Apostle Paul to his, his child in the faith, as he calls him. In, he's on the, the island of Crete. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, so let's... Uh, I, I know that we're going to be putting a lot of scripture on the screen, but go ahead and, and try to follow along in your Bibles also. So beginning today, we're going to look at Titus 1, starting with verse 5. And we get right into the verse here. And remember, Paul had left him on Crete and had told him to, to, to teach strong doctrine, the true doctrine, in order to, for the people to lead at least the godliness so the people would follow God in a, in a way that's worthy of their faith. And this is what he tells him. He says, this is why I left you in Crete. He says, I've left you there so that you could teach sound doctrine, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Father, we praise you for your word and for your mercy. Father, as we dig deeper here into Paul's words to Titus, may it move us, Father, to be more godly and to seek sound doctrine. We pray this in your name. Amen. Apparently when Paul and, and Titus were on the island of Crete, they, Paul had to leave because he, he wasn't able to finish the work. Normally when Paul would go into a town, he would go and he would start a church in the town. He would go to the synagogue. If that didn't work, he would go to the place of the Gentiles. And a church would start. And many times he stayed there for a while. There were places where he stayed for years. And in that process, especially if a church was just starting, he'd get it to the point where they would appoint, he would appoint elders. Um, that's very similar to what we do. A few weeks ago, we talked about church planting. You, you, a church planter goes into an area. He reaches people. He starts make, building relationships. And when that time comes, they actually start having a service on Sunday mornings. Usually the pastor who started it, the, the church planter, is the only elder. But there are other people who come along, and they start to realize there are other people who are leaders, and, and they need you need to have leaders in the church that have certain responsibilities. Well, Paul was not able to do that in Crete, so he left, he left Titus there in order to do this. We don't know why Paul had to leave, but we know he did. Now, if you remember last week, Paul charged Titus to teach sound doctrine, it leads to good works, and now he tells him, Titus, you need to put things in order. Church is not something that could be willy-nilly. Well, a, a sound church. Is not something that could be willy-nilly. You need leaders. You need some structure. And that's what Paul is telling Titus to do. The church is to be marked by healthiness and attractiveness. It's to be, it's to draw people in. But to do this, Titus was going to need some help. And he's going to need leaders to help him in leading the church. And apparently the situation on Crete demanded. Leadership. We know, we talked last uh, last week, you know, Paul really did not have a very high opinion of the people of Crete, the Cretans as they're called. In fact, the prophets who were in Crete did not have a high opinion of the Cretans. 
So there was leadership, was, it was demanded, it was needed. He needs to appoint leaders among the Cretan converts in the church. Notice that the term elder is plural. It wasn't just one, it was multiple. He was to appoint elders in every town. The need was for multiple men in the church who could assume responsibility, who could actually help take care of the other people in the church. Now, we understand there are many people today who aspire to leadership. They, they feel they want to be a leader. The problem is, is that there are also many of those who want to be a leader who are not qualified to lead. So Paul is going to lay out the qualifications for a leader. Because leadership in the church is key to the health and the well-being of the flock, of the congregation. Good leadership is important. And as a leader of the church, I am responsible for your well-being, for your spiritual well-being. I am responsible for making sure that the Bible is being taught. I'm responsible for making sure that sound doctrine is being shown and that people are, are taking that and, and, and living it in their lives. But even more so, I'm responsible for making sure I'm doing it in my life. We'll get to some of these requirements here in just a moment. I don't have the right, and leaders in the church do not have the right to say, well, what the people do is not my responsibility, because it is. Seth and I, we cannot ignore, and the deacons cannot ignore the needs of this congregation as leaders. God requires that we as leaders consider how our abilities and our actions will affect others. And I want to be honest with you, we will fail in that many times. Because we are human, just like you are. But the, that's, why, that's why conflict resolution is so important. Why we still need to love each other through these things. Paul tells the church at Philippi in Philippians 2, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now this is not... That, that command there from Paul, and if you know anything about Paul, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the fact that what I say, if you know me, he says, what I say does not come from me. This is a command from Christ. So all the things that Paul is saying, whether it goes all the way from everything, I'm just going to say everything that Paul commands in Scripture does not come from him. It is from Christ. He says that in 2 Corinthians. So this is not just for leaders. Everyone, all of us, should do nothing out of selfish ambition. And we should humbly consider others more significant than ourselves. And this is one of the main requirements, especially for someone who wants to be a leader in the church. They have to have a sense of responsibility for those in the church, other than themselves and their immediate family. We as elders, are responsible for God's extended family. And it goes further than even, you know, I, I now understand, I'm, I, I'm an elder of this church. As a pastor, I'm, I'm your elder. And Seth is your elder. But understand, we're not the elder of the Baptist church in town. We're not the elder of the Nazarene church or the Presbyterian church. But that doesn't mean that I, can't, that I shouldn't care for their congregations also. I just can't influence them as much as I can you. So I need to focus on our flock here I can care and pray for them, and I do. Matt, I'm friends with Matt, and we, I've talked to him many times. And, 
But I'm responsible for this church. I'm responsible for you. We have to have this sense that we are responsible for each other. So Paul lays out these guidelines that are to be used for the church when appointing the leaders. He begins by saying that those that wish to become a leader must be above reproach. Now you know I'm a I'm a very the three the three most important um, tools you use when interpreting scripture is context, context, and context. And what that means is what does the original language say? Who was it written to? What did they think it said? Because language matters. So we have to go back to the Greek because this was written in Greek. This idea of above reproach many times has been translated as blameless. And that's true. That's what, that's what the term means. But it does not mean sinless. Because if, if it meant sinless, then none of us are eligible for leadership. Because there was only one man who ever lived who was sinless. And that's Christ. And he is the head of the church. But the elders are to be above reproach. They're supposed to be blameless. Now what does that mean? It means that even though Paul does not mean that they have to be sinless, he does want them to be godly. They need to be living godly lives. The debate has been going on for centuries as to what Paul really meant in this. Where are the standards? What were the standards in the early church? Were they high or were they low? And you go to any church, and every church has a different standard. For the most part, most of the missionary churches are supposed to have the same standard. They don't, but we're supposed to. But there are some churches that have a lower standard. The requirements seem rather daunting. I mean, in fact, when we instituted elders, we're like, none of us qualify. None of us are really qualified to be elders. But with Christ, we can be. The require it's but, but it could be worse. Notice that the requirements for leadership do not mean does not mean you don't have to speak in tongues. It doesn't say that. Doesn't say you have to be a prophet. Doesn't say you have to dream dreams. Doesn't say you have to wrestle alligators. Doesn't say you have to climb a mountain. Doesn't say you have to have a vision. You don't have to perform miracles. So being above reproach is not nearly as bad as it could be. But this requirement for leadership relates solely to what example is that leader setting. Above reproach means, is there anything that you could be chargeable? The term above reproach or blameless in Greek means not chargeable with some offense. It means there's no proof that you... Now, I've got to be careful with this. There's no proof, there's no reason for anybody to, to accuse you of being ungodly. Now, I know many times in churches it's been very easy for pastors, especially we've noted we've seen a lot of pastors who've fallen, because it's very easy to hide it. But that doesn't eliminate the rule. We, as elders, we need to be living our lives in a godly way that we cannot, people can't charge us with sin. He's using this term to mean a standard for leadership that's based upon what others in the church see and what they observe. It's not based upon how we see ourselves. There are many, that's, I think that's sometimes where pastors get in trouble. They see themselves as much greater than they should. And then that takes us back to Philippians where Paul says, no, no, humble yourself. 
see others greater than yourself. It's reflective of how the community sees that potential leader. This is one of the reasons why what we do is when we want to install a leader, a deacon, we say, okay, this person is going to be an elder, and we give time. We give time for people to come forward and say, I have a problem with them. And what the problem is. Now, we can't just, we don't do it quietly. You can't just sit there and write on paper, hey, pastor, I know some, I know that this person did that, and I signed anonymous and put it down, and, and put it in my, my, under my door and say, hey, you know, he has to do something about it now. No, it needs to be, that person needs to come in forward and confront that person, the elder, or conf- at least talk to the pastor first, and then they go together and they confront the person about it. It can't just be because I have an idea this might be happening. It has to be proven. Jesus warned his apostles about those who were false. He says in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They look good on the outside, but on the inside, they're wolves. You will recognize them how? By their fruits. It would be a lot easier for the church. It would have been a lot easier throughout time for the church if, so, if everybody had a badge and said, you know, I'm a faithful leader, I'm a false prophet. You know, but it doesn't happen. But we know what people are by their fruits. Are grape, it says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Well, no. Or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Again, it's how the community sees the leader. An elder's life should bear fruit in serving as an example to others. Seeking to avoid others' concerns that they are guilty of biblical offense, or not, we, can't, we cannot ignore the concerns of the congregation. Because if we do, we are guilty of neglect. And that is biblically wrong. We are overseers. We are shepherds. We are to be taking care of the sheep in the flock. Christian leaders should concern themselves at all times with the testimony of the gospel. And the testimony of the gospel is not just what I say, it's what I live. So if we see someone who's not living justly, not living in godliness, we need to confront it lovingly with the idea of restoring them, not of the idea of punishing them. Because God punishes, not us. But we need to restore them. We're responsible for the spiritual welfare of others as well as ourselves and our own family. Now you understand the weight that comes down on elders as you think about that. I've got to think about what my life looks like. And believe me, it's, that's difficult at times. Because I, I suffer the same temptations everyone does. And I have to look at everybody else's life and say, is that really, is that really what, are they reflecting the love of Christ in their life? If they're not, I have to talk to them about it. I should. With that caveat of knowing that people go through different phases in their life, we've got to have grace and mercy with the idea of maintaining relationships. Our lives must reflect the gospel in such a way to make it credible to others. I could tell somebody, I could tell somebody the most amazing things about God. But if my life doesn't reflect it, it's no good. 
You know, I, I've been to places, I've been to parties where you walk in and, you know, nine times out of ten, I am the only pastor there. And it may be some friends and neighbors who have other friends and who don't know Christ. And I'm, I, I, just recently it happened, I'm at, I'm at somebody's house and we were having a party and I'm standing with all the guys and all the guys, you know, we naturally congregate together and the girl, women congregate in another place and children congregate someplace else. And I'm standing out there and the, the, the guy's house I was at, he introduces me as, uh, this is my neighbor, Chris, and I'm saying hi. And then all of a sudden, you know, the F-bomb is dropped left and right. And, and what do I do? I just sit there. I don't say anything. I'm, I calmly listen because my life needs to reflect that. I need to ultimately, as I got to know them, then I need to. They need to. If, if, he, if Josh says, "Hey, hey, I'm a my friend here is a pastor," then you also everybody's okay. Sorry, I said that. But it's not what I want. I, I want them to look at me and say, "There's something different. What's going on?" And maybe I can speak into their lives as we get to know each other more. But. Just because I first meet them, I'm not going to pull out the Bible and beat them over the head with it because they dropped a, a word I, that, that I don't use and I don't appreciate. And I didn't confront them because I haven't earned that response. They don't know me. But if I spend enough time with them, then they should get to know me. And my fruit will bear it out. And then they'll say, oh, they'll remember, oh, I wasn't exactly the greatest, you know, my vocabulary wasn't the greatest the last time we met. And I'll be... Yeah, that's okay. That's grace. But I can speak into their life then, rather than condemning them immediately. Now, granted, my other option, which is sometimes I do, if I know I'm not going to get anywhere, I kind of walk away and go, i got to go do something, so I'll, I'll help do something else. Because I don't need to be, especially if it gets bad. But ultimately, I need to be amongst people who are not believers so that my life can reflect onto them and I may save some. Paul says, I become this and I become this. Why? So that I can save some. But when it comes to you, I need to make sure I'm reflecting my life reflects the gospel to you. It needs to be credible to others so that they will see it and want something. They want that same thing. Paul goes on, he, and in this he tells them there, there needs to be blamelessness in marriage and in family. We're going to begin, we're going to talk about the wife. Paul says that an elder should be the husband of one wife. Now, I want to, a couple things he's not saying. Paul is not saying that elders must be married. Because, because that's sometimes what some people argue, well, an elder has to be married, because it says husband of one wife. Well, Paul wasn't married, at least at this time we know he wasn't married. We, uh, we pretty well know pretty sure that Titus wasn't married. When he left Timothy in places, Timothy wasn't married. So it's not marriage. It's not about married. We can be also be assured that Paul's not talking about polygamy. Polygamy was not the normal practice at that time. So he's not saying that, you know, you can't have multiple wives and be an elder. Because, duh, it's, it's kind of like saying, you know... In order to come to church, if you're a man, you must wear pants or shorts. Oh, well, duh. If you come into church without shorts or pants on, I'm going to talk to you. We're going to take you right back home. It's a... Don't even think about it. It is what it is. So Paul is saying... 
it's not saying that it's, it's against polygamy. And believe me, polygamy is not, not biblical. But what he is saying is, he's saying he must be the husband of one wife. Paul's also saying that, not saying that, you know, he's saying that you, you <laughs> he's not saying that you can't be, they can't have lost your wife. You can't, he's not saying that you, and we'll get into the whole divorce thing. The divorce is another whole gambit of it. But understand that the point is not that you, you, it's not talking about being married or talking about polygamy. We just, we have to look at the true meaning of the Greek term. Remember, context, context, context. To be, we looked at that for above reproach. Now we're going to look at it as husband of one wife. And the means, the, the Greek phrase means a one woman man. That is, ex, that is the exact interpretation of that Greek phrase. It's less concerned about, it's concerned about marital history of this potential leader and more concerned about the honesty the faithfulness and the devotion of that leader to his wife. And, and again, we have to look at that from the perspective of how the community looks at that. I, I, this is not saying that you know an elder can never have a disagreement with his, his wife. That's not what it's saying. Two people living together are always going to have disagreements. The question is, how does that show? Is there spite? Is there? Are they able to have? There, there's the good arguments and bad arguments. Do they have a good arguments that lead to reconciliation and to peace in the family? How is that reflected? Is the elder candidate living consistently faithful life and commitment to his wife? If there's recent or recurring infidelity, it would disqualify that candidate. Or if there had been, and it's unrepentant. And what does this commitment to our wives look like? We've got to look at it in Ephesians, Ephesians 5. It says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Peter says this in 1 Peter 3, 7. says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. There's no insult there. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What's interesting in Peter's writing, he says, you know what? If you're not living peacefully with your wife, your prayers will not be answered. Uh, I'm going to share a story with you, and I'm sure Jimmy wouldn't mind. I just had lunch with my friend Jimmy. He's, he was here last time I was gone, and he preached. And Jimmy's a pastor over at a New Life community in, in Huntington. And I've known Jimmy since we were I was 12 years old. We played baseball together. Jimmy tells a story when he was in, he was in um, Europe. He was in the military. And he, they're sitting at a cafe, and there's an accident out there. And he runs out there, because that's how Jimmy is. He runs to the, where there's a problem and tries to help. And there was a young woman who was in there, and she had blood all over her. So they pull her out of the car, and he gives her mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, trying to bring her back to life. 
and I won't give you the gruesome details, but she dies. He's in the bathroom cleaning himself off, and he says, Why, Lord? Why? Why did she die? Many years later, he's again, he's here, it's here in the States, and he's at a gas station, and there's an accident out in front. And he runs over there, and he, he takes the pulse of this young woman, and sh- there's no pulse. And again, there's blood all over. So he begins to pray. And he had prayed the first time, too, over in Germany. But he's praying, Lord, please, please, just just give her a chance. Bring her back to life. Lord, just save her. Do whatever we can, Lord, please. And she lives. Of course, fire fire department comes, police come, they rip him out of the way. They say, get out of the way. You know, They didn't realize he was trying to save this woman's life. And he's, again, but he's crying, saying, God, why? Why this one and not the other one? And he says, I, I didn't hear his voice, but I felt God telling me, because I have you now. And back then, I didn't have you. The life we live, the godliness that we live by every day, will determine our prayers being answered. I truly believe that. And it's not like we, we have to live perfect lives for our prayers to be answered. It's like, are we living a surrendered life to Christ? Because Peter says here, you're to do this. You're to live and show honor to your wife and live with her in peace. Why? Because if not, your prayers will be hindered. Now, whether or not that's, you know, you won't pray, or whether or not God's going to say, you need to straighten out your relationship with your wife. Needless to say, it says our prayers may not be hindered. These are the guidelines and the requirements for those wishing to be an elder when it comes to our wives. But they are also the expectations for all men. And what we're going to find out is these expectations are for all of us. Just because we're not leaders, just because we're not elders, just because we're not you know, leading a ministry, God says these are the way you should live. Paul goes on to talk about their children. Paul says that an elder should be a man whose children are believers and not wild and disobedient. We all we all know stories of pastors' kids. Sometimes the wildest, crazy kids in the church. I'm hoping to break that with my kids. My kids are good. My kids are wild. Yes, but they're good kids. Now this idea that that we are we are judged by how our children act would make many of us shudder. Why, why should we be judged according to what our children do? Well, the reason is because I'm responsible for the nurturing and the leading and the guidance of my children, especially their spiritual growth. As the father, I am the spiritual leader in the home. I set the spiritual temperature. And I'll be honest with you, I'll be, I'll be brutal. I'm, sometimes I'm ashamed of how cold it is in my house. Because my spiritual temperature is not, and I need to get that back to where it needs to be, and then my it overflows into my family. We are responsible for the growth of our children, the spiritual growth. Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. 
And the book of Proverbs tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, again, context, context, context. We've got to look at this. This word for children is techna in, in Greek, which generally refers to children in the home. See, if we cannot correctly raise up our children that God has given us while they are under our own roof, how can we expect us to be responsible for the spiritual welfare of those in the church? If I can't raise my own children to love Christ, how can I expect to be a person who could teach you to love Christ? Now, the term for children is plural, so not only are we we disqualified by our, our children who have wandered away from the faith after they left their home, but one wayward child in our home does not make us so we can't be an elder. If we have three children and one of them just wanders off from the faith, that's not I'm not responsible for that because the other two, there's something good in the family, something good in the home that the children are being raised. It's just one because, believe me, we all at times have a tendency to wander from the faith. It happens. So it's not that one child goes and now that person. And it's not children who are not in the home. Once my children are out of the home, my hope is that what I have taught them will go with them and they will be good people. Well, nobody's good. They will be godly people. But there's no guarantee that they will. All I can do is pray for them and guide them when I can. But I, if my children wander, doesn't mean doesn't, it shouldn't reflect badly on me. Great, good example. And, and of course now, he's, um, Charles Stanley's not alive anymore, but Andy Stanley has wandered way from the faith. I mean, he's a pastor still, but he's gone off the deep end. Charles Stanley's not responsible for that. Andy is, because he's an adult. Once my kids get out of the home and they're adult, they're responsible for their own actions. Now, I could talk to them and tell them how stupid they are, And I'll try to help them not make those stupid mistakes. But I have to allow them to live their lives. Hopefully I've ingrained in them what it means to be godly. But while my children at home, it's important as a whole that they, they are good children, not being disobedient. Believe me, many a time I'm constantly after them. Don't talk to your mother that way because it's disobedient. Or... When I talk to you, you look at me because that's honoring me. You know, these little things that they need to do. But again, I have to do that in a loving way. How do I interact with them? How can I love my children? How can I not love my children and act like I love everybody else's children? Or love the children that God has given me as you guys? It, it, it's, there needs to be some consistency. Then after addressing the relationship of prospective elders, Paul turns to the conduct of the elder himself. He, he reiterates the importance of an elder candidate being again above reproach. And again, it's not self-reflection. It's how the community sees them, how the community believers sees them. Each of the statements that Paul's going to use here reminds us that the elder's responsibility extends beyond themselves because what leaders do affect others. And it's not just elders, Sunday school teachers, deacons. All of the leaders in the church, it affects others. Let's 
So he's going to give a list here. So we're going to go down through this list of what the elder is not to be. What a person who wants to be a leader must not be. They must not be arrogant. This term literally means pleasing themselves. Pleasing himself. This is one who is solely concerned about their own rights and, and they're unconcerned about the welfare of others. Well, you know, that inconveniences me. Well, let's go back to Philippians. Consider others higher than yourself. There's going to be many times I'm going to be inconvenienced as a leader. I need to be. Because it teaches me humility. And it, it shows people where I'm at. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Like we talked about. Can count others more significant than yourselves. They're not to be quick-tempered. This is a reference to a kind of temper that instantly flares up. And I'll be honest with you, I struggle with that at times. I, I can get mad in a heartbeat. But that doesn't mean that an elder can't get angry. But when they do, they must not sin. Ephesians 4.26, Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I mean, don't let it rest. Don't, don't be angry and not resolve the issue until the next day. You know, you need to resolve it before the sun goes down. Jesus was angry when he was in the temple, when he saw what they were doing. And he acted on that anger, but it was righteous anger. It's, it's not about not be, ever being angry. It's about being angry and not sinning. We, we need to be angry at the things that are going on in the world. We need to be angry at the injustice that's happening around us. But we can't sin. We don't hurt others in the process. They must not be a drunkard. This means overindulgent in wine. But the reality is that there, any action or substance that would take us away and actually control us in a way to make us unconcerned for others. It's not just about wine. It's not just about alcohol. It's about everything. It could be It could be sports. It could be exercise, it, it, which is a good thing, but it, and it, it could actually lead to where you're leading yourself away from being concerned about others. Romans 12, 1-2 says, Appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. But be, that, I think that's a problem in the church today. The church is conforming itself to the world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. An elder is not to be violent. The term here is a striker. Leaders must not be ones who strike out at others, whether it's in word or in deed. We cannot, in our anger, lash out at someone and tear them apart. Just as we can't slap somebody or hit someone. Proverbs 16.32, wise word, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, than he who takes a city. We must be self-controlled. They must not be greedy for gain. An elder must not take advantage of people or situations for the sake of money. The term, and probably one of the most quoted scriptures is 1 Timothy 6.10, and most of the time quoted incorrectly. 
Most people say, that, well, money is the root of all sorts of all kinds of evil. No, it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And what people do is they stop there, not reading the rest of it, which says, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is a verse to believers. Don't love money so much because it will lead you away. God said, you can't serve God, and Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. Paul's now, after he tells him these five, these negative things, he's going to now turn to positive attributes. It's always good we have positive. I don't always want to criticize and tear people down. He says, so what should a leader be? A leader should be hospitable, which is the opposite of arrogant. Willing to open their home and their hearts to others. They must be a lover of good. The idea here is having a loving virtue that promotes the good of others. Friendly. Wanting to talk, wanting to be, to be kind to other people. Self-control, being able to, to control our own drives in our life. Every, there's things that drive our lives. Can you control them? Well, I talked about this last week. We're talking about, was it last week? Yeah, about the little Debbie cakes. <laughs> Can I control myself? Because if not, it's going to lead me to impulsive and damaging behavior. Which is, being self-controlled is the opposite of being a drunkard. They must be upright. And they must be living according to the laws of God. They must be holy. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but they're being devoted to piety and godliness, striving every day to be godly people. They must be disciplined. Think of an athlete in training. A disciplined person, you know, they rigorously apply biblical principles to their lives. They, they're searching the scriptures, wanting to know more and more. They want to be like the Bereans who, who search the scriptures, trying to figure out what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? And then applying it to their lives. Not perfectly, but striving for it. And this, these examples of what they're supposed to be is important to our community because how the, the, their perception, the perception of the community of the spirituality of the leader has far-reaching consequences in the church. Our individual godliness cannot be isolated from our community responsibilities. Because when we do that, when we are living a life and we, we show people that we, are, that we are godly as leaders, what does that do? That shows that the gospel is real and that it changes lives. It proves that freedom from the slavery of sin is possible and selflessness is possible. And it should give hope to the community that there is a way to be godly and the gospel has real power. Because we need to be gospel witnesses. Paul tells us we need to be able to be gospel witness in these verses. The trustworthy word that's taught is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Elders are to be able to teach the trustworthy word. An elder has to approach their lives in a way that we know that peace with God results in, from grace, not from our actions. Our actions are just results of the grace and the peace that we have that comes through Jesus Christ. We need to proclaim the power of the gospel with our lives. Like I said, if I'm in a group of people and, and, and they don't know me and they're, they're talking with the way they talk and... All of a sudden, though, they, they but they start they they see me the next time and they start they say mm, the, he doesn't talk like we do. I wonder what's going on. And many times they'll just ignore it. Maybe, but some of them, someone may say, you know, why doesn't he talk that way? 
well, he's a Christian. Oh. I didn't know that. I thought there was just something different about him. I didn't realize that. And then their, their language may change, but you can also have an influence on them as you get to know them more and more. Our, our, our lives must proclaim the power of the gospel, but our lips must also proclaim the hope of the gospel. And the hope is, is that God loves us not because of our actions and not because of our goodness, but because of the work through Jesus Christ. The elder must also be encouraging others. We are to hold to this faithful teaching that we can be an encouragement to others. I'm, I hope that we encourage each other. And most of all, we also need to refute false teaching. Holding to God's message of grace as, as, as a godly example enables the leaders of the church to, to know sound doctrine from false doctrine. We must refute any messages that are counter to sound doctrine, especially today, when so many churches are letting false doctrine in. As leaders, when we when we understand the common depth of the need of others, we, we get a sense of our responsibility for the spiritual welfare of the body of Christ. And, and false doctrine erodes that. There, are, there is many a church that was founded on sound doctrine, but today, in a place of they're in a place of theological darkness. I, one time I was up at uh, I was up in Wisconsin, and up in Beloit, and went to a college there that was founded by the Congregational Church. It has a chapel, has crosses everywhere. It's the, the, the church. The, the, the college is no longer a place where God is proclaimed. They do terrible plays in the chapel. Debauchery happens constantly. And part of it was the church lost its way. And usually what we find in churches that have, have started out under a sound doctrine and are now going to places where there's spiritual darkness, it's because the leaders that were put in place were not godly leaders. They were put in place for the wrong reasons. They were either put in place because they're good businessmen or because they had influence. So pray for your leaders. Pray for Seth, pray for me, pray for the deacons. That we set an example of godliness and piety. Pray that the deacons will lead their ministries in godliness and piety. For, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. See, the reality is, is that our requirements for leaders should be our goals as all believers. We should all be above reproach. We should all be husbands of one wife and wives of one husband. We should all be faithful. We should all be self-controlled. All the list for leaders... Just because someone's a leader doesn't mean they have to live to that standard and you and I, if we're not leaders, don't. I think we all need to live to that standard. As Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, he said, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Let that be our goal. 
not just as leaders, but as people of God.